If you would remain standing now and turn to the Scriptures, we are continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, reading through verse 37. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, reading through 37. Before we read God's word again, uh, let us go to him in prayer, asking for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would be merciful to us. Lord, we come to your word and we need your spirit to open our eyes like that we might see. Lord, without your spirit, um, we are here in vain. Uh, As one once said, they are but, their spirit is but spectacles as glasses that we need in order to understand who you are, that without you revealing us, revealing yourself to us, we cannot know. So Lord, I I do pray that you will open up our eyes, that you open up our ears, that you open up our hearts, that we might behold the glory and power of Jesus Christ today, that we might rest in him alone today, that we might seek to love you and love our neighbor today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. People of God, hear God's word this morning from the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite and saw him by on the other side. The Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, going on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him in him to prepare him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. He who is here is going to hear the word of God. Have you ever been in the middle of a conversation with a friend and then someone else comes in the middle of that conversation and they, they overhear a word and they think that because you know they are familiar with that word or that concept that they understand the entirety of the conversation and they start to interject their ideas, but it actually doesn't make sense in the context of the greater conversation? Have you ever had that happen to you? Or maybe you have been the person who has interjected your thoughts into the conversation and then embarrassingly realize what you just said didn't make any sense to actually what they are talking about. Whatever happened to you? The story of the Good Samaritan is kind of like that. It's a story that a lot of people 
I have heard and even can uh, recount back to you outside of church circles. Uh, even the phrase Good Samaritan is a, a phrase that our culture uses. Our culture is familiar with uh, the Good Samaritan, and you have companies called Good Samaritan this and Good Samaritan that. And, uh, you know, even in pop culture, if you remember Seinfeld, it's not a fight for or against it, but it ends and they're all locked in jail because they have broken a Good Samaritan law of the town. And so a lot of people think that. Yeah, we understand what it means to be a good Samaritan. We think we can speak into that. However, uh, it's kind of like walking into the middle of a conversation uh, and really missing important information that had just happened previously that would actually give meaning to what it's about. Uh, they've really missed previous information uh, that... Gives, yeah, that, that really gives the Good Samaritan story what its real purpose. A lot of people think that they know what it's about, but if you don't read it in the midst of its context, you actually don't know what it's about. So that's why we take a step back, a little reminder about what, what we discussed last week and leading up to the story. Jesus, if you remember, he was rejoicing in last week's text. It's the only place that is recorded in the New Testament of Jesus actually rejoicing himself with great joy. And do you remember why he's rejoicing? He is rejoicing. It says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but you have revealed these to little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. And the Lord Jesus Christ is rejoicing in his Father, who his Father is rejoicing in him, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And you see this beautiful picture of the, the triune, one God rejoicing in one another in the salvation that they have poured out to humble sinners, but yet rejoicing that they have set it off to those who think themselves wise in this world. And then in our text, as it begins, it's a, it, uh, then almost as to prove the point of what Jesus has just said and what he's rejoicing over, it says, behold. It says, uh, it's almost that, you know, as if a coincidence. But there's no coincidence ever with God. But you see that the flow of thought is continuing. Behold, now you have this lawyer. A lawyer stands up and he puts him to the test. And <laughs> the word here, test, it's really to challenge, it's really to contend, it's really to argue with Jesus. And who's really good at arguing? Lawyers. I know there's a number of lawyers in here, I'm not going to be responding as lawyers. You know, people say that, you know, no one likes a lawyer until you need one. And then you're really thankful that you have a good lawyer and you know good lawyers. So there are good reasons for having good lawyers. And we're thankful for our many lawyers that we provided here. And there are different types of lawyers, too. So we assault so many different types of law. And this man is a lawyer. He is a student in the law of God. He is an expert in the civil, ceremonial, and moral laws of Israel. Uh, he knows the law, and he has come to test, to challenge, to argue with Jesus on it. And how many people do you know who have argued with God, and it ends up going well for them? 
Can't think of anyone. And it won't go well for him either. That's what, that's what he's going to do. Rather than submitting to Jesus, who is God himself, who is the very law giver, he's going to come and argue with Jesus. It's not going to turn out well. And he comes with this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a good question. In fact, it is uh, maybe the best question that anyone can ask. Uh, this is, in fact, the question all of us could be asking this morning, but it is often not asked. Usually the question we like to ask is, what's the dinner? What am I going to eat? Um, how am I going to make more money? How am I going to better enjoy myself? Um, but this is the question all of us could be asking this morning. How will I be saved? How do I inherit eternal life? This is the most important thing. And you ask an excellent question, a good voice, right? Good question. And how does Jesus respond? He says, what is written in the law? So, I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, what does the confession say? What, what does your pastor say? What, if you go to your rabbi, what's your rabbi? What does he tell you? Um, what do other theologians seem to say? He says, what does the scripture say, essentially? And this is where the answer is found. If you want to know the answer for how you can have eternal life, Jesus directs us and points to the only place where that answer can be found, and that is in the Word of God. It's in the scripture. And this is where we must abide. This is where we as believers, we must live and seek to understand what God says in His Word. If something is contrary to the Word of God and the Christians it is not true, then we are not to believe it. So what is written in the law of God? What does the Bible say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And this is right from Scripture. He is quoting a text uh, from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a really common text. I mean, if you're uh, uh, um, in, uh, living in Israel, you have most, if not all, of the Old Testament memorized, but certainly one text that even the smallest child is even that they could begin to talk would be Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Though they didn't have chapters, they didn't have verses back then, but you know it as Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, which says, Hear, O Israel, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Every little boy, every little girl knew that text. And Jesus says, to inherit eternal life, you are to love God. You are to love your neighbor. Uh, this is all that you have to do for eternal life. This is it. This is, this is what you are to do to have eternal life. You personally obey God. Love God. Love your neighbor. And you just all you need to do is do it perpetually and do it perfectly, and eternal life is yours. Is that, is, is that so hard to, do, to just do it forever? 
and to do it perfectly and, and eternal life is yours. Do this, do that, love God, love your neighbor, and you will live. Do that and live. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect and you will live. Do it and live. And so what Jesus does here is he gives a legal answer to a legal question. But the problem is, obviously, is we, we can't. We can't do it. Uh, Romans 3 reminds us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And also in Galatians chapter 3, it says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Why are we under a curse? For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That is, if you can personally, perpetually, and perfectly obey, blessing is yours. But if you break the law, even in the smallest way, cursed are you. Cursed are you. Cursed are you. You can't be saved by keeping the law because you can't keep the law perfectly. And even if somehow you could moving forward, it's already too late for all of us here. We've already broken the law. And time doesn't forgive sin. You know, if you took someone's life and uh, you get arrested the next day and you said, well, officer, that was yesterday. That was so, you know, long ago. No, you are still guilty. Um, time doesn't forgive sin. God forgives sin in Christ. And what should have then been the lawyer's next question? He should have humbled himself after realizing this. And he should have said, Lord, be merciful to me. I am a sinful man. Well, what, what, how can anyone be saved then? How is it possible? If salvation is dependent on loving God and loving my neighbor, how can anyone be saved? How is it possible? Are we all then condemned? I can't do it. I can't love God and I can't love my neighbor as the law demands that I do. Is there any hope for sinners? But he doesn't say that, does he? In fact, verse 29 says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, the lawyer, rather than seeking to be justified in another, which is what he needs, he needs to be justified in Christ and in Christ alone, the one whom he is standing right in front of, that is where his salvation can be found. He says, I'm going to be justified in myself. And he asks, who is my neighbor? And that's really the irony, really, in, in, in this text is, here is a man who is uh, talking about loving God, but he is testing Christ, who is God, and trying to do him harm. I also think it's really interesting here that the lawyer skips over the first greatest commandment to love God uh, and he goes right to this definition of defining neighbor. It's almost as if he thinks like, okay, I've, you know, I've kind of done the God part. I've done that, but how do I define who I'm responsible to serve as my neighbor? Uh, how do I do that? Or who is that? <clears throat> and he shoots back at Jesus, trying to show Jesus that, you know, Jesus, things are actually, they're really more complicated than you realize. Uh, I'm astute in the law. And so, you know, it's not as, it's not as clear. So, um, you know, yes, Jesus, I get what you're saying, but who is my neighbor? 
How do we define my neighbor? Who do I have responsibility to love? And uh, notice the assumption there, even in that question, is that there must be some people who are in the category of my neighbor, which means then there are other people in a category of not my neighbor. There are people who are in a circle of my responsibility of neighbor, whom I'm to love and to have compassion and to care for, where others, not so much, don't really need to do that. And as a typical Israelite, your neighbor was other Israelites. In the other countries, the other nations, no, don't really have a responsibility to care, take care of of them as much. And so that's now we have the story of the Good Samaritan, which is commonly called the Good Samaritan. Uh, That wasn't just a really long introduction, by the way. Um, I'm going to spend a much more shorter time because it is a familiar story. And what Jesus does in telling this story is he's, he's, he's going to stretch the lawyer's category of what it means to be a neighbor. And he's also going to help him understand his first question, which is, how do I inherit eternal life? So, and that's really what the Good Samaritan story is about. It's, uh, you know, it's not, all right, I need to be a better person. Uh, I'm going to try harder. But you're going to see you aren't good, and only one is good, and that is Christ. And that is really the ultimate story of the Good Samaritan. There is but one good, and it is not you. It is Jesus Christ. And so you have, uh, as Jesus begins the story, you have a man who's traveling on a, a, a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Also remember, this is a story. This isn't Jesus recounting a, a historical lesson. Jesus is telling a story. And uh, the, there's this road that goes from um, uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, and it's a notorious dangerous place. Uh, if you uh, traveled on it by yourself, particularly times a day, you're probably going to get robbed. You're probably gonna, it's probably going to happen. You can maybe think of cities or even parts of Tampa that you don't want to be in by yourself at particular times of the day because you're not putting yourself in a good position. Likelihood something bad might happen to you. So that's the idea. This guy is not in a good, great place, um, and he gets robbed. He gets stripped. He gets left half dead, or maybe you could say half alive. It really kind of depends on your perspective. Half dead, half alive. I don't know. Which one? But half dead. That was supposed to be funny, but maybe not so funny. Because he's, he's not dead, but he's not really not living too well either. In verse 31, now by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. And then you have the, these religious leaders. They come by. Uh, they cross on the other side. They don't help this man. Maybe they had excuses, and you know, maybe we gotta, we're going to be late to church. <laughs> we're going to be late to our service that we're, we're preaching at. I can't stop. Got to go to that service. Um, maybe they don't want to touch, the, uh, get close to a dead body, because then they would be considered ceremonially unclean. We have this week-long ceremonial you know, uh, process we got to go through in order to be purified. Um, maybe they're afraid that it's actually a setup, and he's really, he's really, uh, he's really faking, and behind the rock are the real robbers, and so they're going to go help this man. They're actually then themselves are going to get beat up, so they're just going to go around, do, do their own business. Now, we don't know why they don't stop. 
And it really doesn't matter because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story that Jesus is telling us is that they don't stop for whatever reason. They don't stop. They don't help. And by not stopping, they aren't acting like this man's neighbor. Now, if you're a first century Jew and you're listening to the story, you may expect to think that the third person is then a humble Jew, a a humble farmer, and uh, maybe, you know, it's an anti-clergy story and everyone can do ministry. uh, And there's some truth uh, to that. You know, everyone can do ministry and not just priests and Levites. Um, We're all called to do that. But what the real surprise here is that the hero and that Jesus mentions next is not a humble Jew, but it's a Samaritan. Samaritans are, are lawbreakers. Samaritans, they uh, intermarried with other nations. They have set up their own worship place. They don't worship in Jerusalem. The Sam- Samaritans were, were heretics. He- Samaritans are villains. It's like a story where you would have a Nazi be the good guy. There aren't good Nazis. And so, too, there really aren't good Samaritans. Uh, it's like an oxymoron. It's a contradiction to say good Samaritan. They don't go together. They don't mix. In fact, if this man wasn't half dead, there's a good chance he would have even refused the, this Samaritan's help because that's how much the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They were enemies. They didn't like each other. <clears throat> Yet, we're told, the Samaritan shows compassion and helps this man. Uh, no, notice here the, the different directions of the people. The Levite and the priest, they cross the road and they go away from the man. The Samaritan goes to the man. The Samaritan does everything for this man. He pours out oil and wine for this man. He puts this man on his own donkey. He takes this man to an inn and spends the night taking care of him. He doesn't even just take him to the emergency room, you know, push him out the door, say, you know, good luck. They'll take good care of you. We'll see you later. He spends the night with him. He's there at the inn with him, uh, uh, taking care of his wounds himself, making sure he's okay. And then when he has to leave for the next day, he makes sure that the proper care, long-term care is in place, that he gets whatever he needs. And whatever he needs, it's going to be on my dime. It's going to be on my tab. And the Samaritan has nothing to gain from this guy, nothing. And then Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. You know, the lawyer can't even bring himself to say, Samaritan, not going to, you know, but it's that, the one I suppose that showed mercy. I also want you to notice how Jesus is now defining what it means to be a neighbor. Jesus' question, who proved to be a neighbor, is neighbor is not, is defined, it is defined by action. A neighbor is not defined by tribe or proximity or family. The concern is not who am I obligated to serve, who is in my circle of obligation that I have to to love, and I'm now responsible, and I have an obligation. I have to love them whether I want to or not. And we have family members. We all feel like that, but we are going to love some people. But what Jesus's point here is what kind of neighbor am I? Am I serving? Am I a neighbor? Uh, Am I giving? Am I compassionate? Am I merciful? 
Ask not who is my neighbor, ask how can I be a neighbor to others. Neighbor is someone who shows kindness. Neighbor is someone who shows love to everyone in need. Neighbor means showing compassion, taking care of people's practical needs. Neighbor means being willing to stop. Being a neighbor means being willing to help, being willing to be inconvenienced. A neighbor is someone who sacrifices their time and money in order to serve others, even their enemies. Being a neighbor does not mean just enabling people in their sin. You find someone, you're just going to help them continue in their sin by here's a few bucks or whatever, but offering legitimate help. If real help is wanted, that we can offer real, legitimate help. What kind of neighbor are you? If you asked your neighbors in your neighborhood, what would they say about you? Are you helpful? Are you caring? Are you just passing people by because you have other important things? Something's more important than them. Now, if you're feeling right now, I just, I need to try harder. <laughs> I need to get to work. Got to start loving people better. That is like walking into the middle of the conversation. The parable is meant to show you that God's law is more demanding than you, than you ever realized. The parable is meant to show you that you have become really good at loving yourself and not loving your neighbor. The parable is meant to be revealing to you that you actually do very little to serve others. It's showing you that you are guilty of breaking the law. And if your salvation is dependent on loving God and loving your neighbor, then you are in deep, deep trouble. You might hear the gospel is just to love. You know, isn't that what the Bible is all about? Isn't that what all religions are about? You just got to love. I mean, can't we just all get along? Is it, you know, Islam and Judaism, Christianity, uh, you know, they're just all, they're all saying the same thing, just to love. That's the message of the Bible. If, you, if we could just love, that, that, that's the gospel. But Jesus says, you know, if, if, if your salvation is dependent on loving God and loving your neighbor, you're going to go to hell. You are condemned already. No man is justified by the law. So what this parable should have us be doing right now, this parable after we read it, we are then meant to say, as Paul once said, who will deliver me from this body of death? I am so selfish. Save me, Jesus. This parable should have us do what the Philippian jailer did to Paul when he fell at the feet of Paul's feet, and he asked the same question. You remember the Philippian jailer? He said, well, what, must I do to, what must I do to be saved? And you remember what Paul said? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And the difference between the lawyer and the Philippian jailer is God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that jailer had been humbled. He was at the point of death, and he was ready to receive grace. And you will not be saved unless the law has humbled you and you see yourself as a great sinner 
incapable of keeping the law perfectly, seeing that you have no hope, that you have no hope apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And only then will you find the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. We need someone who will come and love God and love our neighbors because I have failed. Thankfully, Jesus always practiced what he preached. The story is not an allegory. It's not meant to be an allegory, but you cannot help but see Jesus in here because he is truly good. You know, the good Samaritan is not ever found in the text. That is a title that you might find in your Bibles that's been added later, but it might even be properly labeled the perfect Samaritan. Because who is good except God? right? And then Jesus, Jesus even says that, who is truly good that is morally good except God and God alone? Who is perfect except the Lord Jesus Christ? We are not half dead ourselves, but the Bible says we are fully dead in our sins. And yet Jesus came from heaven to earth, and He spilt His precious, costly blood and, and died on the cross for us. He withheld nothing from us. Even as we read in Romans chapter 8 that the Father spared not, but delivered up His own Son for us, how much more will He freely give us all things? Jesus also prepares other people to take care of us, elders and pastors and deacons, why we wait. And He is coming back, that where He might be, we will also be Jesus comes to us in our time of need and He rescues us and He saves us and He heals us. And what this parable does is to teach us that we need the righteousness of another. It ends with go and do likewise. Again, what kind of neighbor are you? And so what's happening here, even in this go and do likewise, it's, he's condemning the lawyer. He's not yet humbled and his just go and do likewise, there is a sense that as you try to keep the law perfectly, he should feel condemned. But for us who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, to you who believe, you who have received the mercy of God in your life, it should well in us the desire to want to be compassionate and merciful and gracious to others. As God has so done to us, let us then do to others. We become a merciful people as we reflect upon the mercy of God in Christ for us, remembering and reflecting that we have been that man on the road. I've been beaten down. I've been bleeding. I was been left to die, and it is Jesus who came and had mercy on me. And we can love people. We can't be people's redeemer, but we can point them to the one who is truly good, who shows compassion in word and in deed. And we too can go and do likewise. So that's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's not, all right, let's go do this. Rest in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Reflect on his mercy for sinners. And then let that well up in you, then the desire to show true mercy and compassion to anyone who would need it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the mercy that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, it is often our flesh that we just desire. We're going to do it and live, but Lord, we fail. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see our sin more and hold fast to the cross all the more. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to be a compassionate and merciful people. Lord, as you have been so merciful to us, that we would be willing to give, that we would be willing to spend time and resources and and money uh, to care for others. Lord, I pray that you will be merciful to us more and more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.